Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Old Everald and Young James Talk Politics. Here with Everald Compton, as always, and this week we've seen the release of the voice pamphlets. Now, we've talked a lot about the voice on this show. It's no secret Everald and I are very, very big yes advocates, and I'm here with the great man. How are you, Ev? Well, I'm going back one, man, and that's good to pamphlet's fine. I mean, I, I think it sets out the affirmative case for voice pretty well. Um, it's also um, pretty, how you say, truthful, uh, unlike the no pamphlet, which is filled with... it. it the, the whole purpose of the no pamphlet is to spread lies and stoke fear. Let's make no mistake about that. Um, the no pamphlet, as you say, has received a lot of backlash from people a, for being just filled with lies and misinformation. And unfortunately, there's nothing that can be done about that because there is no requirement that the pamphlets be truthful. Um, the No campaign could have said in their pamphlet that if we get voice to parliament, everyone will have to give all their income every year to Indigenous Australians and we'll have to live under Indigenous rule and give all the land back and whatever. Um, they could have said that and nothing could have stopped them. Um, there is no obligation at all 
that these pamphlets be true, um, which is, it, it's not good. It's not good for um, democracy that, you know, we can just get away with lies like that. We They, they get let off the hook for lies like that. As you point yeah, out, um, there are plenty of... Yeah. Sorry, Jack, <laughs> no, there are there are people who were quoted in the no pamphlet, for example, constitutional law professor Greg Craven, who are yes supporters. Now, Greg Craven had some reservations as to the proposed wording of the voice, and the no campaign has quoted his criticisms of that wording without noting the fact that he has still said, regardless of the wording, he will vote yes because he thinks voice is an incredibly important step in constitutional recognition and empowerment of Indigenous Australians. So it's a real... The, the No campaign is really hiding the ball, which they've been doing the entire time, but I think this is the most egregious yet. Well, that's true, and I'd agree with all you say, but the Yes campaign has not been performing well. The document just repeats all that they've been saying up to now, but it doesn't answer basic questions that are going to cause it to lose. Now, whenever you raise a basic question with the yes camp, and I'm part of the yes camp, and I try to get answers to help me advocate, yes, they say you've got to wait until after the referendum, and then all that will be re revealed in, in legislation. But what's the point of waiting until after the referendum that's going to lose? If the referendum loses, there's going to be no discussion about it, and it's quite ridiculous. Whenever I go, like I advocate yes in various ways. I get invited to make speeches about my books all the time, and I always make a little space in it where I, I when I get to my book dinner with the founding fathers to talk about uh, uh, the way the Constitution was written, I bring up the yes campaign there. Now, I'm always asked questions afterwards, and, and they're all, uh, you know, the same. How many people are going to be elected to voice? Can we have an assurance that it's a small number? What is the budget going to be for voice? Are we committing ourselves to enormous expenditure? Is this the last request that the Indigenous, sorry, let me apologise for that, but the Indigenous people, uh, are they going to, since we pass this one, are they going to come back from another one? And people regularly quote that fellow Thomas Mayo, who said that one day every Australian's got to pay their share of the rent for the land and the people. And they, people are saying, well, can we have an assurance that this, this is it, this is the last one, and all the talk about paying the rent is going to go out, uh, is going to go out the door. There's questions, uh, you know, asked about, uh, a, a, a whole range of issues uh, such as how is voice going to stop the riots out in Alice Springs and, you know, whatever. And, and these are simple questions that good people uh, are asking and you get abused if you ask. I, I ask the simple question, how many are going to be elected and what's it going to cost? And I got attacked by the SCAP on Twitter and, 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 and other parts of the site. Simply because I asked the question, I was told that I was being subversive, I've got to shut up until afterwards. But I get asked these questions, every media goes against them. The yes case is doing as much to damage themselves as the no case. I mean, we know how many people are going to be elected. It's going to be three from each state, one being a rural and regional representative. Uh, at yeah, least one being a rural state and regional representative. Um, I don't know if that's stated in the document, but that's been said multiple times. Um, that information yeah, is most definitely I, out there. I said, 
I went on Twitter and said I believe there's going to be around about 25. Now, the, I've read the document you said that said 20, that kept up to 24. So, uh, Megan Davis, who's one of the leaders, attacked me on Twitter and said that my figures were wrong and I had no right to ask the question. Now, I was only one out, 24 to 25, yet she, yet, 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 yet she attacked me about it all and said I had no right to ask what the cost of it was going to be. And that caused her a lot of other people on Twitter come out back me and said, well, he's asked them, did he be wrong? Tell us what the right comment is that she refused to give it. And that doesn't do the cause any good, that. No, but also uh, one interaction on Twitter a cause does not make. Um, I will right, say that... Yeah, the, the, right beyond that, right the, now, voice is losing. It yes, is losing yeah. considerably right now simply because it's being badly presented to a noble cause. A noble cause that I believe in is being badly presented by the Yes camp with an arrogance that's, uh, that's awful. And I think there's got to be... Now, Andrew Bragg came up yesterday. No, I've never met Andrew Bragg, but I've only listened to him. And uh, he seems a reasonable bloke. And he'd come out, he'd, he'd, he'd a yes man, a liberal. He came out and said, look, yes, and then said, we've got to stop and sort out all the issues that are worrying people and delay the referendum until 2024. And I think he's got a point because there are issues to be sorted out uh, uh, in about the whole thing. And we can't have voice losing. It will be a terrible Indictment, not just an indictment on Australia, the anger that will be caused in the community in all sorts of ways uh, is going to be awful. And I, we've got to make sure that that doesn't happen Now, I, I completely agree with what you said about we can't have voice losing. I mean, Pat Dodson, the senator from WA, has said, you know, that, like, if, if, if voice loses, that'll set reconciliation back so far. And it's true. Um, I think, though, there are re- that, that I, I totally agree that the Yes campaign has not been run well, but there are other reasons that Yes is losing as well. As you would be aware, no referendum has ever passed without the backing of both major parties, um, the, the government and the opposition. When you compound the fact that Australians are generally averse to change, generally reticent people, if you've got a major party going into bat for the No campaign, which you now have, there are a lot of people who don't particularly care one way or another who are much more amenable to the no message just because of that general aversion to change in the Australian community. I think that's probably why no referendum has ever won without the backing of both major parties because as soon as you've got a very loud no campaign, there's generally enough either apathy or resistance to change within the Australian community that the no campaign gets to downhill ski a bit. Um, and, and there is records of them having the loss that made with both sides on it. I mean, I yeah. put a thing on my website about how the Liberals and the Nationals wanted to break the nexus between, which says the Senate, uh, the Liberals, the Nationals and Labor agreed that the nexus that says uh, the, that the Senate's got to be half the size of the reps, uh, where uh, 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 it, they, they, they both united to have that removed so that you could increase the size of the House of Reps without increasing the Senate. And they backed it totally and poured a lot of... And the tiny little Democratic Labor Party led by uh, former Queensland Premier Vince Gare just did them over by running around Australia and saying, we don't want any more politicians. And he not only beat them, he beat them comprehensively, 
we're on delicate ground with constitutional change, aren't we? Yeah, like you say, I, I, this country is a country where people do not like change. Um, people like to be left alone. They like the quote-unquote simple life. And I think um, any no campaign will always have a built-in advantage on that basis alone, because all the no campaign, it, 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 much like a court case, really, uh, you know, in, in court, the plaintiff or the prosecution has to affirmatively prove their case. And if they can't do that, the defendant doesn't have to do anything. They automatically win. Um, and the no campaign in Australia, for, for not just the voice, but for any referendum, is in a similar position. I think sort of most Australians' default position to change is no. Um, yeah, well, true, but also the voice campaign's been done the reverse yes. way around. I pointed this out to uh, uh, Linda Bernie, whom, whom I, I admire much as a person. Uh, she put her heart and soul into this thing. I said to Linda that the first thing, that there should not have been a voice referendum call. But the Parliament should have, after the Uluru statement came out, saying, well, yes, we ought to have voice, but let's put through Parliament a bill that works out totally how a voice is going to be appointed, how it's going to work, how its costs are controlled, all the things of how it's going to work. And we have a debate in Parliament and we get that through. But the last clause in it says this bill does not become operative until the people of Australia approve the establishment of voice. And so you have a piece of legislation there which you've consulted the Indigenous people about widely. It gets through the Parliament. It's there waiting. No one can then get round and say, I don't know how this thing is going to work. There's a piece of legislation debated in the parliament, signed off, voted on, signed off. That's the way it is. The whole nonsense that, that no is going on could not be done. It would simply be on the principle of do we give average Indigenous people a voice? And then it would be a, a choice between... Uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the people of Australia who want justice and, and the racist element that doesn't. But most of the, a lot of the people who I know who are going to vote no saying the whole thing's too, you know, confusing and whatever, they're the sort of people who say, right, there's the legislation, that's been passed, that's what's going to happen, OK, we'll vote yes. And I think it's been done the reverse way round. Yeah, I, I, I don't necessarily disagree with your point. I mean... I'm, I, I, as far as I understand, I don't think that's how they normally do referendums. I think they normally do the the wording first and then pass the bill subsequently. But in these circumstances, if it's what would give the requisite certainty to have stopped the no campaign in its tracks, maybe it would have been a good idea. I suppose well, the problem I'm now that is would have been look, an important thing right now is going to be beaten. Even if there was a majority in New South Wales, Victoria, I'm pretty certain the smaller states uh, are, are, are going to vote no. Now, uh, I, 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 just to test, uh, you know, all this uh, after the after the um, I got attacked on that. By the way, being attacked on Twitter doesn't worry me. I don't lose one moment's sleep. I just thought it was ridiculous. But a lot of people took up my thought. I, I rang a lot of the AFP blokes and said. How are you going on the ground out in your electorate selling voice? The whole lot of them, well, I want to say rang half a dozen, but they all said it's tough, April, it is tough, and these are blokes out there advocating it. So we're facing a defeat at the moment, and I think Alba would be wise to defer it while we sort it out. We cannot have 
voice defeated in a referendum. I, I, I don't know if deferring it's the way to go because then it would sort of push back a lot of other priorities that need to get done too. You're right that we absolutely cannot have voice lose though. And I'm just, I, I like to think of myself as a solutions person. I'm pretty, you know, I, I'm, I can't solve every problem, but I can at least think of first steps towards solving problems, you know, but the, 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 how, how to get voice up. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm stumped at this point. Like I'm, I'm real, I'm really worried about, where the referendum well, well, uh, I'm, I'm and, and, and it is, and, and it's just uh, uh, the, the, the whole attitude of the yes side that if you ask a question, and I'm not the only one who's been told to put his head in, there are hundreds of people out there who've asked simple questions and be told to shut up. Now, the yes campaign has not covered itself. They would need a total change of mindset, you know, and I, and I, I really... Uh, think that Peter Dutton and his brakes, if I was the old schoolmaster, I'd take him down the back of the room and give him, or give him a belting with the biggest cane I could ever find. Uh, you know, and so we've got to say to those brakes, why don't you grow up as well? I think that that's another element that's, uh, you know, it's got to happen, isn't it? Well, I, I will say, though, that a, a few people on Twitter, or indeed a lot of people on Twitter, don't speak for the whole Yes campaign. And there are thousands of yes volunteers on the ground and in higher places who are doing wonderful things for the yes campaign too and we need to recognize that as well it's it's not oh, all, true they it's are. Not all I'm, I'm one of them I, 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 every day i try to talk to someone about voice a person of influence every day i try to do it and and all the uncertainties come out in all uh, in, in you know in all the phone calls and uh, and so there, there we are it's not a it's not a good, uh, you know, it's not a good situation uh, at all. Now, James, uh, we, we, we we better get off, boys, before both of us have a heart attack. We just uh, keep blazing away for the for the yes, uh, you know, for the yes vote. Now, I've got to I've got to get on to a, 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 the Australian cricket team. Now, I know that you and I had a little disagreement about this when it happened, but you remember that I got quite brassed off of the Australian team when they ran out Bairstow uh, when he just walked over to meet his captain and even though it was in the rules I just thought it was wrong. From that moment onwards the Australian team has come apart and I think it's because they realised that they blotted their copy book and I think if they had their time over again they wouldn't have done it but I've never seen a team in the first couple of tests uh, came in yesterday, the last couple of days while I've been watching the Pombs belt round, what I thought was a pretty good bowling attack, and England nearly made 600, and what I love, well, it was sad, but Bairstow was 99 not out, so Bairstow got his revenge in one way, but to have all the team go out on him when he was 99 was, was a bit blow, but I, I just think we've got to get round to the point that the spirit of the game is far better than the rules. And I think Australia uh, is showing that they've now wished they'd followed the spirit of the game. Look, I've, I I maintain there was nothing wrong with running out Johnny Bairstow. It was not against the rules, and nor was it against the spirit of the game. Um, Johnny Bairstow had tried to do the same thing to Marnus Labuschagne in the test prior. If you're out of your crease before the end of the over is called, you are vulnerable to being run out. Just because the over, just because you walk off prematurely, that does not give you the right to have a big oh, sort. Uh, I agree that under the rules, you're out. 
what I'm saying was it was done sporting and the Australian cricket team came apart from that point See. and I think they realised they'd done the wrong thing. See, I, I don't even think it's unsporting because if you're so off with the fairies that you're wandering out of your crease before ball is called, then you have no right to complain to invoke this loose ethereal concept of sportsmanship because you were too off with the fairies to keep your bat or your back foot in the crease. But I will say I totally agree that by hook or by crook, um, the team has come apart in the last two tests. I think England bringing in the 150k an hour bowling of Mark Wood has very much helped them. He's been electric for them. Um, but also, to wit, um, Australia dropping Todd Murphy, the spinner for this test, was a terrible idea. Um, and I think the bowling attack has lacked balance. And that has allowed England to really tonk us around once they got on top of the fast guys because there's been no spinner to bring that control back. So I think Todd Murphy was hard done by. Um, and I hope the boys yeah, can get well, a ride it's not a good, uh, it's not a good scene. Well, let's get round to another sporting event in the the, uh, the games in Melbourne. First of all, can I say that I think the British Commonwealth is an anachronism that the world can uh, do without the British Commonwealth of Nations. And uh, you know, and I've always thought that the Commonwealth Games were a bit like a church picnic. They they, they weren't really a great sporting event. And one of the reasons why they're so unfinancial uh, is that. Whereas the Olympic Games is financed mainly by the broadcasting television, you know, whatever rights that are sold at massive costs because the whole world is watching, uh, the, the audience for the Commonwealth Games is a tiny fraction of that. Nobody in China or the United States, uh, you know, watches it and, and Europe and whatever. And you just can't finance it because it's a, it's a minor event. So... I mean, I, I would back the idea of just scrapping the Commonwealth Games as a, as a nonsense. But nevertheless, I'm worried about Australia's image. You might recall that last year, we when, when in Morrison's dying days of his Prime Minister, Zip, we ratted on a contract with the French over submarines, which I was greatly, and a lot of Australians, greatly embarrassed about, particularly when we were going to go with the UK and USA, which are both declining nations in in my view, you know, we ratted on that. Now we ratted on a contract for the Commonwealth Games, and I don't think that does our reputation uh, any good. I now think we're going to rat on Indigenous Australians as well. We're starting to get uh, another, and that's my main concern. You, you don't ever uh, rat on a contract. Daniel Andrews should have sat down and said, we're going to lose a hell of a lot of money now. We're just not going to be able to build all these stadiums we promised out in regional Australia. We're going to do with what we've got. Otherwise, we say, you don't pull out. You just say, well, these are the terms that we feel we can go ahead. But just to pull out, I did not think was a good move in any way at all, the way it was done. I mean, look, it, it, it's a story which doesn't move the needle much either way for me. Um, it's Is it a good look? No. Is it better for the state that he's done it? Yes. Would I like to see politicians putting their, their state or country first more? Yes. You know, I would love, there is very little I would love more than Albo to turn around and say, F this AUKUS deal, it's too expensive. We need to build social housing. We're in a cost of living crisis. We're going to build $368 worth of social housing. You can stuff your submarines up your placker. I would love that. 
I think yeah. I, I, I would encourage it even. Um, I, I think realistically, um, if the money is instead going to a better cause and a more necessary cause, which is what Dan Andrews is going to be doing with the money that would otherwise go to the Commonwealth Games, then, yeah, you know, we, we probably should um, get over ourselves and swallow our pride a bit. And, you know, it, it takes great courage to buck up and say, look, we made a mistake. We can't actually do this. Um, and we've got to, we're going to weather the consequences and we're sorry, but um, we're going to, for the better betterment of the state, put this money into health and social housing, which is what Dan Andrews has done. There's going to be 1,300 new social houses built in Victoria, regional Victoria, and so on. Um, again, if Albo bucked up and did the same with the Orcas submarines, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say build a big statue of him outside of Parliament House tomorrow. Uh, well, I, I don't disagree with you, Prince, but I still don't think we want a world in which people say don't ever sign a contract with Australia because they're likely to rat on you. That that worries me uh, uh, considerably. But, you know, let, let's come to good and bad guys uh, before we run out of time, James. Now, the good guy of the week, and I can't even remember his name, that young Spaniard that belted Dokovic uh, in the final eight, he's my hero. Mate, Dokovic's a bloke for whom I've taken an intense dislike for his entire career just by his attitude. Now, that's in terms of a Churchillian. We're not supposed to ever despise or dislike anybody, but and so with some trepidation, I just say that Dokovic has been a, a blot on the horizon as far as I'm concerned. And when that young and that the young Spaniard beat him, but not only he's only twenty, and he played with the calm of a of a you know a a, a real old pro, and, and he had a, it was a magnificent victory. So I uh, I poured an extra nip of scotch for that young Spaniard, Spanish player when he belted Dokovic. Carlos Alcaraz, yep, uh, world number one. And, I mean, no- Novak has featured on this podcast many a time, be it for his incredible feats on the court or his less-than-glamorous attitudes towards vaccination. And, uh, <laughs> he's, you know... Yeah, and he, but his general arrogance, and he, he just doesn't look like he's a nice guy. And, and uh, you know, it's one of those things. Roger Fayot just reckoned his character, uh, Roger Federer and, and Nadal stood miles ahead of him. I admire his ability to hit a tennis ball, but that's a... Yeah, that's about all. Who's your good guy of the weekend? Oh, um, I talked about the Matildas last week, and they've kicked off their Women's World Cup with a 1-0 victory against the Republic of Ireland. And co-hosts New Zealand also kicked off their Women's World Cup with a victory over Norway, um, which was a we huge well. upset we for New well. Zealand. And Australia won, even though Sam Kerr was yes. injured. Yeah, exactly. So two huge wins for the hosts. Uh, we have Nigeria next up. Uh, old Everald and young James are back in the Tilly's home. Um, and we encourage, I think, like 4 million people or 5 million people tuned in to watch the Matildas on um, on Thursday night. You know, encourage everyone to get out there and support the Matildas and get our girls to hopefully back them to bring the World Cup home. Well, true. Well, 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 they were good. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of them. Now, my bad guys of the week are the Taliban over in uh, Afghanistan who... After all the humiliation they've been bestowing on women about not educating them and making them stay at home for every reason, they closed down every beauty salon in uh, in, in Afghanistan, a few thousand of them, because they believe that Allah is not pleased when women put on lipstick and whatever. And, and, and they closed down the salon, which put a lot of people out of work, but also humiliated women... Uh, 
uh, you know, uh, you know, one more time. But what's stupid about the whole of? Well, I sort of, let me rephrase that. What's economically ridiculous about the whole of the Muslim world is they all put in lesser, greater and lesser degrees, one of the two nations a bit more enlightened women in a place where they're economically unproductive. They're told to get out the road and stay out the road and stay at home and, and, and just be a good housewife and produce kids and keep yourself covered up and, and out of sight. So they've got 50% of the population who, in terms of economic activity, now we can all say that keeping a home going is economic activity, but in terms of general productivity, they've got 50% of the population locked away. Now, in, in economic terms, that's about as dumb as you can get, isn't it? particularly if, when there's every indication that a fair few of that 50% might be brighter than the blokes. And what's your view of that? I mean, look, I, I, I don't need convincing that the Taliban are the bad guys. I think our listeners are probably uh, <laughs> pretty um pretty on board with you there. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it, anywhere in the world, um, the oppression of women um, or anyone, you know, we, we decry and um, we stand against. And um, it's, it's just another episode, I guess, of um, how bad things are for women in some countries. I mean, you know, we've seen the women's revolutions in Iran. We've seen women standing in protest against lawmaking, um, you know, rich upper class men in America. Um, so it, all, all around the world, you know, we, we saw it in Australia with our election too. Um, yeah, we well, we encourage women and, to and find their still, voice. And... It's still in the minds of, of women here in Australia, young women that, you know, they've got a bit of a battle ahead for recognition. I had an interesting thing happened this week. I went back to the old school I enrolled in uh, it's a little village of Linville in the Brisbane River Valley where I, I enrolled for school. I lived there 86 years ago and I was out in Linville and I rang up the, the, the head teacher and lovely lady and I said, look, I was signed up at this school 86 years ago. Uh, I, I gave her a day's notice and said, can I drop by and, and say hello to the children? And she was, first of all, I think she thought I was a crank fool. How could any bloke who was signed that went to school 86 years ago be able to turn up? Uh, but she said, but she, she worked it all out that I was fair income. And so I arrived at the school and the kids gave me a great reception. They cancelled the class for the half hour I was there. And the time for the half hour was the kids asking uh, uh, old Emerald, the old students, all sorts of wonderful questions and they all signed a card telling me I was a good bloke and I, just, I was lapping this all up. But in the end, I just said, uh, I hope that one of you, there's only 23 kids, I hope that one of you one day becomes the Prime Minister of Australia. Now, in usual situation, the boys and the girls were sitting separately in the room. That's the Australian way you put them by the As soon as I, and I said, I hope one, and I said, I got a feeling that it might be one of the girls. And this whole row of girls stood up and cheered to the echo and the blokes sat there looking totally nonplussed. <laughs> and and uh, they, oh, they weren't unhappy, but they were just looking at this phenomenon of these girls dancing around when I said, want to be the PM. You know, and, and, and that told me just by the look of the whole thing where the world is going, mate, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like you say, even young women today have a long battle ahead. And um, they got to keep fighting. On a similar note, my bad guy of the week is um the right wing backlash against consent education. 
So uh, Yumi Steins, an author, has wrote this book about um, consent for teenagers and concepts such as consent and sex and the like are taught in schools to teenagers um, because they're young and they need to know these things both so they don't sexually assault or harass people and so they themselves don't become victims to sexual assault or harassment. Um, But this book has been sold, was sold in Big W, but there was a big, big campaign organised by right-wing interest groups to go and harass Big W workers, call them groomers and pedophiles. And so Big W had to stop selling the book um, because their workers were getting harassed and attacked by these vicious far right-wing people religious right-wing people um, saying that they're all pedophiles for wanting to teach kids these concepts. Now, as you would be more than aware, Ed, um, if there are any organisations that have to be very, very um, reticent about throwing a stone through their glass house when it comes to calling other people pedophiles, it is religious organisations. Because if there are any groups in history who have a long history of taking advantage of kids' naiveties, to exploit them in that way, it is religious groups. Um, now, and seeing this big socio-religious backlash to consent education is very, very worrying because it's very, very deep South American. Taking books off shelves because they teach kids about consent and stuff is very, very Alabama. Uh, and it's not something I want to see brought here. Fortunately, the book has rocketed to number one on the Amazon bestseller list because seeing this backlash parents are buying it for their kids thinking we want to back this cause we want our kids to be educated about this stuff but it's a very worrying backlash yeah well i might even buy the book myself no look it is disgraceful and look uh, part of my life is spent trying to uh, have christianity become uh, more relevant and i even don't describe myself as a christian now because the word is being demeaned i i'm still an elder of my church after 66 years but i anybody ask me what religion i am i say i'm a working partner of jesus the man and then i go around with him trying to create a better world now i get attacked by the christian right uh, you know because i'm i i, I don't agree with you know, the sins and punishment for them and you know uh, uh, the supremacy of males and you know the and how, how, how the gays are wicked and, and what have you. Uh, but I simply uh, think that uh, uh, the right wing of religion, I don't say this in a political sense, are uh, doing the cause of Jesus, the man, no good whatsoever. No, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And with that, I think our half hour and then sum is up. Uh, thank you for yeah. listening, everyone. Well, it's been good to talk to you, James. And you get down there to Melbourne and sort out that Commonwealth Games, mate. Make sure somebody runs them, even if they've got to be running, uh, you know, in outer Mongolia or somewhere. You you get down there and fix it all up. <laughs> oh, look, I'll, I'll I'll do my best in, in between um in between other duties. Um, now have a wonderful week, everyone. Um, <laughs> thanks for listening. Yeah, good on you, James. Good to talk 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 again next week. Yep. Ciao for now, folks.